0: Hello and welcome to Black Light, a fringe media podcast. My name is Tim Fleming. And in this show, we talk about black stuff, black people. We talk about how ideas affect black people. We talk about culture and how it shapes the black experience. All exciting things. And today, we're going to talk about none other than Kamala Harris, the vice president elect. First and foremost, I wanna say congratulations to Kamala for being elected vice president. It's an amazing thing, incredible accomplishment. First woman to be elected to the vice presidency, first black person to be elected to the vice presidency, and first black woman to be elected to the vice presidency. Those are all incredible things. However, a lot of people Look at Kamala Harris, and they say, hmm, I don't know. She walks the walk, kinda. And say, it sounds like she's communicating with me. But wasn't she a prosecutor? Wasn't she a district attorney? Didn't she lock up a whole lot of black people for minor, for for low-level drug offenses? Didn't that happen? Or did, did, are we making this up? There are a lot of people." Who say those things in some ways they're not wrong and so in this show we're gonna talk through how should black people feel about Kamala Harris I'll try to clear up some misconceptions and talk through a little bit better more comprehensive of a lens to view her instead of the typical love or hate, instead of the typical looking at her as the first black woman to be in said position, breaking down so many barriers, and having to ignore uh, the other things uh, that she has been a part of. So let's get into it. Before Kamala Harris started her career, she went to Howard University. That's, That's a very good school, my lovely girlfriend went to Howard University. And she studied political science and economics. That's what I studied. I am not on track to become vice president, so there's that. Uh, She went to law school at the University of California uh, and became a prosecutor for the Almeda County District Attorney's Office. It's near Oakland. So she started off as a prosecutor. I will say, first and foremost, framing matters. What I mean by that is I got uh, some of that introductory information of hers off of the Senate website. Uh, she is in the Senate, if you didn't know that, or she was. Um, and I got her off the Senate website and it used the, it, it framed her experience as a prosecutor as she started off her career in the Alameda County District Attorney's Office. It said she started her career. Very intentionally leaves out that she was actually a prosecutor. We'll get to that a little later. But she started off as a prosecutor. And for those who don't know, prosecutors prosecute people for committing crimes. Uh, They try to score convictions uh, to get criminals off the street. And what people need to know is, and is part of the reason that so many are up in arms about her is that prosecutors have an absurd amount of power when it comes to the cases that they're prosecuting so let me let me explain prosecutors have a ridiculous amount of discretion in what cases that they push uh for charges against that they choose to prosecute Uh, so they they are able to do so on a case-by-case basis they have a lot of discretion on the kind of deals that gets that get offered to uh, defendants in criminal cases and they have a lot of discretion on who gets put on juries they can get you struck from a jury for anything if you are too black if you are too white if you wear glasses if you got scoliosis you got a medical condition they can get you struck from the jury for just about anything And part of the problem is a lot of these decisions, these arbitrary decisions about what kind of punishments they're going to seek in a court or what kind of uh, cases or what cases that they're going to bring charges against, a lot of these decisions happen behind closed doors. Now, prosecutors work on behalf of the cities. Um, and so it is a public position, I believe. I'm going to do some research on that. I might be wrong about that. But a lot of these decisions happen. I, I believe it's a public position, but a lot of these decisions happen away uh, out of the public eye. And they're able to use quite a bit of discretion. So, for instance, let's say Johnny and Gerald, rob, they both rob a store. Johnny might, uh, the, the prosecutor might choose to not press charges against johnny or if he does you might choose to uh, make johnny pay a fine or you know try to push for a fine or um, try to push for some kind of try to push for uh, some kind of uh, limited jail times so he might he might push for 30 days in jail but with gerald he might push for a few years in prison. He might push for the maximum punishment that Gerald can possibly receive for robbing that store. The cases could be similar. And this is what we've seen in so many studies that have shown that black people are more likely uh, to get harsher sentences and harsher penalties than their white counterparts for similar crimes and similar situations and so we see all of these things and then we look at kamala harris and we say hey wait a minute that is that is a part of systemic racism that is a large part of systemic racism and it's contributing to the prison industrial complex right so how can she be so pro-civil rights and so for movements and be prosecuting black people in San Francisco. That's what people say. It's worth noting, however, that her time as a prosecutor was spent uh, mostly prosecuting sex crimes. However, in 2003, she became the district attorney, the DA for San Francisco. Now, district attorneys typically review arrest arrest reports for the, uh, the district or county. And they can decide which cases to bring charges against. Often district attorneys choose which cases they want to bring charges against and then they kind of hand the, those cases to their prosecutors to then uh, go prosecute in a court of law. That's a lot of power. And so any power that, that the, she might have had as a prosecutor has now been elevated as a district attorney even more of those decisions about what what kind of charges and what kind of punishments are being sought at uh, for, for low-level drug offenses, um, for, you know, different crimes. She has that kind of power. You're seeing the problem here. So what does Kamala have to say about this? Well, she has a pretty good argument as to why she held those positions as a so she's a person who prides herself on civil rights she considers herself an activist socially uh, for for the rights of, of all people but black people specifically and she see i guess she sees this as an opportunity now i i read through a very long uh piece in the new yorker i don't regularly read the new yorker i don't live in new york hopefully i will be soon but i don't now I don't regularly read The New Yorker, but it had one of the most complete profiles on Kamala Harris. Highly recommend it, I'll, I'll put it up on the screen for you. And it was back in 2019 that they did this profile, but it's probably, probably one of the most complete profiles uh, that they've done on her. They got the chance to talk to her, um, spend some time with her, uh, talk to a number of her peers, etc., etc. So she sees her uh, opportunity to be a prosecutor and to be a district attorney she sees it as an opportunity now uh, think about it and this is this is kind of what she communicated to uh, the woman that that wrote the article I, I forget her name but I'll I'll have the article on here she sees it as an opportunity if those who are perpetuating racist systems, can use the kind of absurd and arbitrary power as prosecutors. So these people are, are in these positions as prosecutors and as district attorneys. If they can use those positions to perpetuate systemic injustice, to give Gerald a harsher punishment than Johnny for similar crimes, to send black people to prison and kind of contribute to this prison industrial complex. Well, if, if those people who are in those positions can do that, with that kind of power then if the right person gets in that position or gets in those positions we can use that power to fix the system because just bowing out considering the system is just a or considering the position is just an evil position is not going to help we need people like us that look like us in those positions that that's her perspective on that it's hard to argue that it's 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 hard to argue that and so she can use that same level of power as a prosecutor and as a district attorney and and the kind of crimes that she uh seeks or the or the kind of punishments that she she seeks for crimes and the kind of cases that she's trying she can use that as an opportunity to not only redeem the position uh, of authority that she has but to put those uh black people minorities some of them not not minorities Some of them just white people To put them on better paths Toward a better future That's how she considers it Now Pop quiz As a district attorney How many Marijuana convictions Did Kamala Harris Oversee 20 200 No, almost 2,000. She oversaw as a district attorney, which means under her authority and direction, she oversaw over 1,900 marijuana convictions. It's absurd, that's that's a a ridiculous number. Now, a lot of you will hear that. Your heart will be filled with so much anger. Kamala, how could you? Could you do this to us? But there's something you should know. One, that does is, this isn't gonna help her case. That's a higher rate of marijuana convictions than her predecessor, by the way. So the person before her, she was she was convicting under under her power, she was convicting more people of marijuana convictions than the person before her for the record. That doesn't help. But not so fast. The former lawyers in her office. The ones that used to work for her say that the vast majority of the defendants in these cases of the 1900, the vast majority didn't serve any jail time. In fact, they claim only a few dozen of the 1900 plus convictions went to state prison for low level drug crimes. That's a small percentage. A few dozen out of 1,900. So what was the deal? Why, why was she so against legalization of marijuana? She fought against the ballot measure in 2010 for legalization and didn't even participate in the vote when it passed in 2016 and then came out in favor of legalization in 2018. Why the change of heart? Well, one reason might be that she came from a traditional background with parents that discouraged drug use. We see a little bit of this in her father's angry response to a snippet of Kamala's interview with The Breakfast Club. Here's what she said. Yeah, no, 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 no. Also, and I know the answer to this too, they say you oppose legalizing weed. That's not true. I know. <laughs> and, and, and look, I joke about it, half joking. I have my family's from Jamaica. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> now, harmless joke, right? Her father was not happy. Her father, remember, he's Jamaican. Her mother was Indian. Her father was quoted in a response as saying, my deceased parents must be turning in their grave right now to see their family's name reputation and proud jamaican identity being connected in any way jokingly or not with the fraudulent stereotype of a pot-smoking joy seeker and the pursuit of identity politics he added speaking for myself and my immediate jamaican family we wish to categorically dissociate dissociate ourselves from this travesty wow her father said that after that snippet on The Breakfast Club. And so we see why she might have originally had an issue with, with marijuana. It seems that she was raised by a Jamaican father. Now, this is an inference based off of his quote. A Jamaican father who wished to separate himself and his people from the stereotypical pot smoker, and what, what do you say, a joy-seeking pot smoker, he wished to, dis- to to distance himself from that because that stereotype, per the tone in his snippet, is, is harmful. Now, this is just one of many small instances when when Kamala's pursuit of identity politics It kinda it kinda leads her in a in a hypocritical fashion. It leaves her in kind of a hypocritical light. Why else might she have been against the legalization of marijuana? Another answer can be found in her political approach as a centrist. Now, I am not overtly qualified to talk about this stuff. I did study political science in college. I did study economics in college. I did study philosophy in college. I do read a lot, I read The Economist religiously, I started reading the Financial Times, I highly recommend those, I read some foreign policy as well. Another answer as to why she might have been against legalization of marijuana and why she might have switched lies at the heart of one of the issues with Kamala Harris. With many, her political approach And her political beliefs align with a a centrist, someone who kind of prefers the slow, uh, the slow, methodical, incremental change in policy to kind of shift culture, as opposed to those who wish to shift culture in a dramatic way, who wish to move quickly and wish to kind of drag policy along um, and and wish to, to lead the way that way. So centrist move slowly. They move incrementally when it comes to political change. Now, marijuana is an issue that has just, has just now picked up some mainstream, has now picked up to becoming mainstream. Side note, it's picked up to becoming mainstream because many of our politicians, our beloved politicians and business leaders have figured out how to make money off of it. And so now it's legal. Yeah, good job, America. Side note over. Marijuana is an issue that's just not becoming mainstream. And it seems that she's now willing to to back this issue. Um, probably because the, the general trend on marijuana is that people generally that now they don't you know, it's not as big of a deal to people anymore. And she probably wants to convince the left wing voters, wanted to convince the left wing voters that she was a little more progressive in her policies than she actually was it's the political game gotta understand it it seems and i'll talk about this at the end it seems that she is politically a centrist uh, with most issues but a left you know a left-wing progressive not super progressive you know she's not she's no uh aoc you know she's no bernie she's she's left of center when it comes to social issues so now we come to one of the most controversial aspects of her career her school truancy program when she was district attorney of san francisco she started a program that imposed fairly harsh penalties on parents whose children were chronically absent from school she really felt, and this, she talks about this in the article in the New Yorker, she talked about how the, she felt like the classroom, getting kids into school, keeping them in school physically and mentally, was kind of the last battlefield to keep, to keep kids off the streets and to keep them um, out of caskets or out of jail. This has been a mainstay in black communities for as long as ever get kids in school get them in after school programs keep this so that way they're not physically on the street they're less likely to participate in illicit behavior or hang out with uh unruly people i hate that i just use that word unruly people etc etc now she felt like the classroom was the last place to reach kids sorry my, my mouse stopped working that were heading in the wrong direction and it seems like she has a pretty good reason for thinking this before she became a district attorney and i got this from the, the new york article, new yorker article as well a civil grand jury reported that nearly one-third of high school students in San Francisco and the San Francisco Unified School District were absent at least once a week. Absent from school, at least once a week. And a study for, that's that's pretty excessive. That that's, That is a high level of truancy, absent from school at least once a week. And a study from her office found that 94% of San Francisco's murder victims under 25 were high school dropouts. With similar statistics for the perpetrators. In other words. It's what the leaders of broken down communities. Community leaders have been saying for years. Get kids into school. Keeps them busy and pushes them to get their degrees. So that they have that. Might push them further, you know, to get into colleges. But it keeps them off the street. Keeps them from doing illicit activities. This program was received with a mixed review she gave this uh, she presented this Her. um, her, she presented this program at a conference it was like a conference a speaking engagement something along those lines she presented it and it was noted in this article that half of the people listening clapped and the other half were astonished with this truancy program she would punish students of chronically or parents of chronically uh, truant chronically absent or truant students with jail time there was one story um that I, I i don't have pulled up here there was one story of a woman who uh literally the police came to her door in the middle of the day i think it was some kind of misunderstanding at the time at the moment But they came up to her door and I need to get her name um, And arrested her in the middle of the day Because her her child wasn't in school Uh, Took her to jail and there were reporters People taking her pictures The news was there, all kinds of stuff Now this is an incredibly harsh punishment For kids not being in school Why the punishment? Why the harsh punishment? Here's the thing with harsh punishments like that they are imposed theoretically with the hope that they will never that the punishments will never have to be that harsh because the punishment itself is a deterrent to the action or the uh, behavior so she wanted to make the punishment such that you wouldn't even think about not having your kid in school the problem is there's a lot of leeway that this was a statewide program the problem is there's a lot of leeway with how these local district attorneys were to were applying this rule and when it comes to harsh penalties it doesn't you know you don't need to be socrates to be able to understand who is going to bear the brunt of these punishments and penalties it's going to be black people. So it's a harsh, it's harsh punishment, punishing parents with chronically uh, absent kids with jail time. Others, Alec Karakatsinis, I don't know how to say his name. I'm saying it wrong. Alec Karakatsinis, he is a civil rights lawyer and he spoke with the article of this or the writer of this article in The New Yorker. And he talked about, for he's quoted as saying, for years when she had control over the cash bail system, so this is moving away from the school truancy program, when she had control over the cash bail system, a system that's seen as another uh, kind of aspect of systemic racism, he said, for, for years she had control over this issue, and she crushed people with bail money amounts that were five times the national average. Rebecca Young, she's a senior trial attorney in the Public Defender's Office in San Francisco. She said much of what Kamala says is driven by political expediency. And that's what makes it so difficult to trust. Now, I've said a lot of bad. It's worth talking about one of the better things that Kamala has done. As a district attorney, she created a program for people charged with nonviolent first-time felony offenses so that after pleading guilty to a felony, if they completed a difficult and demanding treatment, education, and work program, they could have their convictions vacated, is what this article says. And even to run the program, she even recruited a single mother who was an advocate for female drug dealers and female uh, or in sex workers. She recruited this woman, Latifah Simon, to run the program. Latifah didn't have a college education. She then went back to school after uh, helping run this program for Kamala. <laughs> Some people call this hug a thug. That's not good. That's That's not good. <laughs> that's not good. But what they found was the reality with, with many of these uh, first time drug offenders is that many of them uh, were selling drugs out of economic necessity. They needed money. And so for Kamala, Kamala would uh, th- this program would force these uh, first time offenders to plead guilty, um, which some argue was an easy way to score convictions. You just get them to plead guilty and you pr- try to get them through a demanding program that they probably won't complete and you just get them in the system. But Latifah Simon says the program was small or the, the, the writer of this article says the program was small and difficult enough uh, to complete that one of the public defenders complained that it was often um, that it often amounted to an easy felony conviction. But it was new and she took the program statewide. There's a lot of things here. I've said a lot of things. At the end of the day, how should black people feel about Kamala Harris? I think black people should view Kamala Harris as an ally on the inside. On the inside. But you kind of look at her with, with some uh, suspicious eyes, almost like you gotta keep an eye on her. Kamala is sharp, as sharp as they get, She's she, and she is incredibly precise and intentional. Every word that comes out of her mouth is purposeful and intentional. Every word she uses, every phrase she uses to describe herself is intentional because she wants to frame herself as uh, this type of person, and I'll tell you the kind of person in a second. But she's just incredible. She's incredibly sharp. In other words, she plays the game very well. She plays the political game well. She played the legal game well, very, very well. The problem is, is what many, and it's what many politicians find when they get into public service, and they, you know, they get in with bright eyes. Uh, and they're trying to do good things for the community What you find is If you play the game When you start playing the game long enough You become a part of the game And all of it is a game Kamala Harris is a social progressive With economic And Even just reg- like Regularly legislative centrist ideas What does that mean? It means she's going to play the game she, it means she's not going to be AOC out here fighting, fighting, fighting out in the public eye, yelling, um, really getting into uh, these senators and, and representatives getting into their behinds and saying, do your damn job. She, it's not going to be Kamala. Kamala is going to play the game with a stern face, with precise words, and she's going to try to position herself, which she has done as one of the people but she is going to finesse and maneuver her way around these circles of influence. And now she's the vice president and now so she is the circle of influence. So black at the end of the day, but I think black people should look at her as an ally, but we should really be uh, kind of looking at her with, with in kind of an apprehensive nature as like, you're saying all the right things, But I need to see it, you know, it's I I understand that, you know, you had this program that low level drug offenders could complete to get their their felonies knocked off. But like they still got felonies, you know, and they still had to take the felony at the end of the day to get into that program. So I like Kamala. I think she's, you know, she's incredibly intelligent. I just don't know if the direct with the direction our country is going if she moves quickly and inspires enough change for black people. And realistically, I don't even know if that kind of change that's needed in the time frame that it's needed is even possible. Maybe a slower, more methodical level of change is the only way that we can actually get change. Thank you for watching. This has been Blacklight French Media Podcast. My name is Tim Fleming. Follow me on TikTok. I've got a TikTok. Yeah, I've got that. Timmy, T I M M Y underscore beans. I'll put it in the. Uh, I'll put it on the screen there. Uh, but yeah. Until next time. See you later.